You get the boat from sea houses, a place for fish and chips, and where starlings sit on the seawall and take breadcrumbs from your fingers. You'll never see tamer starlings than at sea houses. You park the car and immediately turn to look at the water. You can't help it. The sea lies flat and still, but there's a har, a holy fog of fogs, and it sits there and clings to the globe like a big grey gecko and it won't let go. You have to book the boat to get a ticket for the Golden Gate or the Taj Mahal. Boats that sound like Indian restaurants book a ticket or queue up at the booth. There are lots of booths lining the walls under the quay. Smell the salty sea air and prepare for the journey to Farn. The engine makes a gorgeous throaty throb and the stink of fuel is exciting, somehow dangerous. Maybe World War II pilots felt like this on the runway when the chocks came off and the sky above the channel was swarming with Messerschmitts. How could they not shake with terror? You settle on your bench in the boat and you begin to feel the open sea. The boat moves out of the safety of sea houses into the fog. Somewhere out there in that fog are the Farn Islands. In a farn, out a farn, and there's Longston, the lighthouse where Grace Darling lived. Her bedroom at the top, she looks out, sees the paddle steamer on the rocks. Grace Darling. Say it like this, Grace Darling, like the starlings on the seawall. Grace Starling, the grace of starlings. Oh, my darling Grace Darling, she was so young. Seventeen when she rode out with her father to rescue sailors from the wreck. Many were lost. She rode out in a storm to Harker Rock, where the ship had snapped in two. You can't see the lighthouse today for the fog, not yet. But then the islands begin to emerge, and there's something not quite right about them. But now, but now, here come the puffins, flapping their wings five times a second, coming into land after a mission for sand eels. They fly low, in pairs, like spitfires. You can't help but smile and wave our boys home safely. And guillemots and razorbills, and then a gannet low, like a pterosaur or a pterodactyl, huge and primeval, throwing its shadow across the boat. You can't understand why other passengers aren't gleeful. There's no rain, you get spray, yes, and you get soak, but it doesn't penetrate, it evaporates in the warmth of the morning sun, although it is still hidden, up there somewhere, just a glow above the fog. But there they sit, fellow seafarers, under the canopy, looking back towards the safety of sea houses. The boat chugs, throttles down, bobs, and you're beside a cliff of guillemots, terraces thronged with hundreds, maybe thousands of them. They're unperturbed, busy doing what they're doing, but you're so close, but still close enough. Now you see the lighthouse, a little way beyond the island group, 
Grace Darling, a celebrity around here. At sea houses, she gets a cafe and a museum. She's a name we remember from school assemblies, a young woman who did something truly courageous. Grace Darling sits on a bench in your memory, next to Anne Frank. You eat a bag of hula hoops, want to throw one to the puffins, but this would be a mistake. The other tourists are watching you, they're not watching the birds. And there they sit, under the canopy of the boat's tiny deck, where the steersman stands with his back to you. Then you get to Innerfarn, and the boat pulls in, and you climb out, and the turns begin dive-bombing, and a warden takes your hand as you step onto the quay and warns you that the turns are nesting on the path, so tread carefully. Puffins are everywhere. They pop up and out of their warrens like whack-a-moles. There's one, there's one, there's one. They are everywhere. A turn crashes down above you. It gets very close. You feel it in your hair. This is a scene from Alfred Hitchcock's Birds. But there's no tippy headron in a pencil-green pastel skirt. That's how you remember it. The scene in the room when they're at the door, scratching, scratching. Here they come. Here they come. Dive-bombing stukas. You continue the World War II analogy. Squadrons of terns, a blizzard of them. Duck, where? Snake up the path, a long line of you, towards high cliffs overlooking the sea, where men in camouflage colours point huge telescopic lenses at nesting cormorants, puffins with beaks full of sand eels, landing after a successful mission, razorbills, more guillemots, so many guillemots. There are too many of you, too many humans, yet the birds outnumber you, easily. They ignore you. Your route is clearly marked. You stick to it. But the bird photographers are there. You think they look like birds themselves, these weird men, and most of them are men, with telescopic lenses huge as barstools, big blunt beaks for feeding on light. Cameras on burst mode, whir and cluck. How many images before they are satiated? You love the cormorants, their long black heads and angry beaks. There is something Nordic about them, as if, once upon a time, they were messengers of the Viking gods. Slowly you snake home, back to the boat. Your ninety minutes is up. Your fellow passengers look unmoved. You're in a state of disbelief, almost shock. The islands are alive, a buzz, a cloud of life. The other passengers sit in the shelter of the canopy. At sea houses, on sea legs, you go for fish and chips. You eat it hungrily and soon feel sick. You return to the car park, get the car. On the seawall, someone is feeding the starlings, lined up, one next to the other, so well behaved, never full up, never bored with the same food, day after day. Sea house. 